2: So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Real Forno Show. We have a special treat for you today. Oh, well, never mind. Dave just left. You got to see him before the intro video. That's always a treat. Listen, the Vikings drafted six players and it got 15 undrafted free agents this past weekend. And the process seemed a little different than last year. We're going to talk about why We're going to talk about the players, and we're going to talk about how this will impact the 2023 Minnesota Vikings and beyond. Welcome to the Real Forno Show.
1: Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire. Betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website. Publisher of Substack Run and Shooter. Host of the good the bad and the hungry on the voices of wrestling podcast network as well as a founding member of vikings first and skull and we went to the wrong screen
0: welcome ladies and gentlemen to the real forno show i am your host tyler fornes with me uh with the wrong screens is producer dave in the top left corner we're gonna blame this uh little minor snafu dave on the fact that my dog just ripped an atomic ass. Yeah, and I was it laughing. Smells really, it smells really bad in here right now. Odie, you're cute, but not that cute. Um Frenchies fart a lot more than other dogs because of the their uh, flat faces, because they get more air in their stomach. And, ooh, buddy, it's brutal <laughs> sometimes, but we love him anyways. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Dave?
1: I am good. Finally, starting to get some rest, much needed. Because it was a long, long weekend.
0: Yes, um, it was a very long weekend, but a very good one at that because Minnesota Vikings made improvements to their football team, and yes, I think they did. I will. Well, get let's let's cooked. just, Dave. Let's just start talking about these guys. Um. One thing that's interesting about this draft is they started off with pairs of teammates. And Uh this is something that Rick Spielman did in around half of his drafts. He drafted Uh teammates. Now, one of the reasons you draft teammates is because it's easier to get intel. So if the Vikings drafted Makai Blackman and Jordan Addison, both of whom they had in on top 30 visits, well, guess what? They went against each other in practice all the time. You can get a lot from teammates. And a lot of times, teams won't actually spend any time with the player they really covet because they don't want anybody to know about it. And what they'll do is they will go directly to a teammate and get all the information that way. Now, is that necessarily the best strategy? Well, smart minds can differ. Some people would rather go to the source, which honestly is the best way to get your information. But you have to play the game.
1: Source is always going to be biased.
0: Mm -hmm. but you can't get like like if i were to ask you if you liked fish you're you're either gonna tell me yes or no but if i ask you you like fish and you're like uh and you stutter because you don't know how to answer the question because if you tell me the wrong thing you may not be coming to minnesota like it's to gauge um their response and to gauge how do you handle situations how do you handle questioning how do you answer certain questions like there is reason for wanting to talk directly to the source but if you're able to do both you can get a lot of information you can cross reference almost like how lawyers cross-examine witnesses in a courtroom the prosecution is going to ask questions that they think will help um uh, imply that the defense is guilty and the defense will take those questions and spin them in a way to make the defense sound innocent. And that's kind of how you do, uh, you do things here. Like you're going to ask the same questions uh, uh, from each guy and you're going to try and see what the answers are and see if how they line up. And if they don't line up, then you have an interesting data point and you can continue to evolve your exploration from there. And I think that is what's really intriguing, Dave. They, they, did it twice with two different sets of teammates. And I think that's noteworthy, but I also don't think it's end of the world. Um, If that makes sense, it's, well, let's just talk about the players and Dave. Why would it be end of the world that they did it? I, I said, I don't think so.
1: Well, yeah, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. I think picking players, it was done in the previous regime. It may not be the same draft, but uh, Nick or Nick Rick Spielman loved to pick uh, Notre Dame players, and then there was mm-hmm. both the um, UCLA players and Anthony Barr and Kendricks teammates. There's a familiarity there. Plus, it is a probably a psychological benefit when they get to camp together that at least they know somebody. So. I, I I don't put down that process whatsoever. I think it's probably a good one.
0: No, it is a good one, and it landed them Jordan Addison. So let's talk about him, Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you are listening to this on Tuesday, there will already be a long article explaining why the Vikings wanted to take Jordan Addison, and I I I'll actually need to finish the conclusion here tonight. He's good. But basically, well, it's not just that he's good. Any player that's drafted in the first round is good, but the key about drafting him is why is he good? Why does this fit matter for Minnesota? And honestly, he's kind of similar to Justin Jefferson. Um, They are not the same player, but they share some interesting similarities, Dave, and it starts with route running. Jordan Addison is a tremendous route runner. That's what the fo- uh, focus on the piece is. Um, taking real film examples, explaining why it matters and why a, a really good route runner uses some of these practices, like attacking blind spots, confusion at the stem, um, selling your deep speed and adjusting your tempo within the routes, um, avoiding contact in zone coverage. Like, There's so many reasons why Jordan Addison is a really good football player, but it's about understanding the context of why and why some of like the weight doesn't matter. Um, it does matter, but it matters a lot less when you play like Jordan Addison open. does. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, when you
1: get open, it's, it's that simple.
0: Yeah. If you get open and you can do so and you can beat press coverage because you're so quick with your feet at the line of scrimmage. And even when you get hit, like there is a rep where um, some people say he's tripped. It looks to me like he was, pushed that kind of by the way he felt it's it's a difficult one to read because of how it happens um but like he can get pushed around a little bit because he's 173 pounds i do not expect him to be 173 pounds in three years i expect him to bulk up to the neighborhood of like 180 185 he's going to get into an nfl weight room he's only 20 years old he's going to be able to add some muscle to his frame and that's going to make a really big impact on him being a really good football player. Uh, But we kind of explore the why behind these things, Dave. And the why is always more important than the thing itself, because context matters. Context is king. I cannot repeat that enough. Context is everything. If you catch passes for, I don't know, like 2,000 yards, well, why did you catch passes for 2,000 yards? What were you doing to get open? Did nobody know how to cover you? Like, there's there's a reason behind every little nuance and stat. And you have to find it and determine if it matters and if it's in important to the discussion. And one of the big things, like Jalen Hyatt this year, well, he had 210 yards and five touchdowns against Alabama. He's got to be great. Well, no. The context there is his offensive coordinator decided that, hey, I'm going to just continue to spam seam routes with Jalen Hyatt against a safety who has no business covering him. And you're going to keep lining up that way, so I'm going to keep taking advantage of it. And that's how you got 210 yards, five touchdowns. Like, Jalen Hyatt's a good player, but there's a reason he went 73rd overall. Like, his speed is good, but it's not so elite that all of a sudden nothing else matters. So – like that plays into this conversation a lot and you have to be able to identify that and you and understand the why so you can contextualize it and explain it and the why with Jordan Addison is yeah, he wins creatively he wins with nuance he wins with route running and he's able to do so in multiple ways that avoid him really getting hit and i think that's really key Plus, he's going to come into probably the most advantageous situation in the National Football League for a rookie. He's going to be the fourth option right away. He's not going to have zero pressure. Hey, dude, just go run routes like you always do. Just get open. That's all we want. Just go get open. Like, we'll figure the rest out. It's okay. See
1: what you can do against our corners, and we'll go from there.
0: Yeah. Bingo, bango, bongo. And I – I think Addison Steeling could potentially be a wide receiver one. I know there are some in the industry that are very high on him. He was my wide receiver, too. I had him as my fifth overall player on the board. I thought that was a little high, but the tape doesn't lie. And I did not want to knock him for the athletic testing. And I want to get into this because we're going to talk about process here. I think the Vikings took a different process, at least it appears based on the public data that we have, in drafting these players. They drafted players that did not have high relative athletic scores. I, I'm going to waste time, and I'm going to pull up the um, I thought, data a, I thought I thought a few of them did,
1: but I know it wasn't the 90 percentile, nor, as we learned, just because they tested well, or just because they may not have tested well at public events like Pro Days and scouting Combine does not mean that they are not fast – because the NFL gets the actual mm-hmm. speed, game speed stuff of the sensors on their bodies and et cetera, that the public does not see. So somebody could have a bad day at the combine and not run a good, you know, run a four or five forty, but an actual out, when he gets on the field, is lightning fast. And they have though do- that data to go along with it.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's going to be kind of a part of my overarching point, Dave. Because, like at like, I last year's numbers and Dave, I actually should have sent you Jordan Addison's relative athletic score image to throw up on the screen. I was just got too busy writing this piece today. Um, last year's relative athletic score. The only individual that did not have a relative athletic score was Andrew Booth Jr. because he didn't test at all. And the one outlier here is. Vidarian Lowe. Vidarian Low, and Ty Chandler had low athletics, relative athletic scores. Um Lewis was a 9.92, 99.2 percentile. Ed Ingram, 74th percentile, Brian Osamoa, 88.9th percentile, a Caleb Evans, 95.7 percentile, um, Ty Chandler, 6.38, uh, Asesio de Otomewood and we did his as a defensive tackle because he's playing on the defensive line, not edge, and I think that's important because his edge one is like 67 percentile his defensive line is 93rd Vidarian lowe is 57th Jalen Naylor 80th Nick Muse 88th and Luigi Villain also 88th. like you're talking about high upside athletes based on relative athletic score now relative athletic score can be a little deceiving um it's a phenomenal tool and um I've met Kent Lee Platt he's a great guy he works incredibly hard to put this all together and And it's great to be able to compare these metrics across time. But one thing that it doesn't account for is injuries. Um, Jordan Addison uh, had to pull out of all uh, the remaining combine drills because he hurt himself. And I believe that impacted his testing. And then at his pro day, he couldn't test because it was a monsoon. Same with Makai Blackman. And I think that's part of the reason why these guys ended up falling. And I don't think that it's necessarily a... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence. The thing with speed. Jordan Addison, and it was said so by Steve Palazzolo of PFF, when they were talking about the Addison selection on the live draft show, because I watched it after the draft because I'm an absolute sicko. Here's the, like, the GPS data that the teams in PFF have are showed that he was in the 90th percentile for speed. That's... Pretty damn good. um. Like, you're talking 90th percentile for speed with a 44940. 40. So, right there. Something fishy. Why is it fishy? Well, let's... You can kind of look. Injury. Injury makes a difference, Dave. It really does. And...
1: Oh, and that's ninety percentile on the field where it actually does matter. Mm-hmm. Not just running yeah. along a sideline in a straight line.
0: Yes, it matters a lot, and you know we kind of talk about it. And if you're fast with GPS tracking, and I don't care about your forty. Um, I his testing was finish like. wasn't great, it wasn't a disaster, but when you find out he was hurt and he doesn't really get to retest, the public, myself, we don't have access to that GPS data. So we don't know those things. And that's what can really murky our evaluations and be like, oh, hey, Mekhi Blackton wasn't a value pick because of X, Y, and Z. Well, we don't have all the information. We don't have all the data. And because we don't have that data, it makes it incredibly difficult for us to be able to say with any kind of conviction that, hey, maybe this guy just like we don't know that he's faster, but we found out because somebody who has access to that data told us. And it seems like and I just re-
1: it, it was, realized earlier I put up a picture of Blackman instead of Edison.
0: Oh yeah, um, I was told in in a group chat. and I was just going to tell you later because I didn't want to. I didn't want to embarrass you on the screen. But yes, um, but it it's not too hard to to make that distinction, Dave. They have the same frame. Like
1: they wear the same color.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they do. One is six, one is three. And if you add them together, it's nine. Hey, look, I just did quick maths, um, <laughs> but let's, let's, uh let's continue to kind of talk about this class. I think the shift changed for what they were prioritizing on defense. And here's what I mean by that, Dave, and we might get Odie Borking because I think the wife is now home. Um oh. Yep. There he goes. Odie, here's the wife. Little and bark, growl, growl. Oh, yeah. He's, he's he's just the best. I love him. Um, but I think, like, they're still prioritizing 10-yard split because there were some guys who just had an elite one. Um, and no. then one of their UDFAs, Ivan Pace, had a 29th percentile, but his 20 oh. and 40-yard splits were in the 80th percentile. So that is one of the weirder testing elements I've ever seen. Um, and Aaron kind of points it out. That fast and aggressive players. And that's what you get with these next two picks. But Kai Blackton and Jay Ward, they're aggressive. They're physically imposing as far as how they want to play football. They want to punch you in the mouth. If if you're going back and forth, guess what? Blackman, i tell about six reps where they're just kind of pushing back and forth. He always gets the last shot. Always. Mm-hmm. Like, these are guys that are Brian Flores guys. And Ward specifically is Eric Rowe. And if you don't know Eric Rowe, we talked about him on the show before. He ended up signing with the Carolina Panthers. Um, He played for, excuse me, Brian Flores for six of his eight career seasons across the Patriots and the Dolphins. What he did, Dave, was he was a guy who could do everything. He could play deep. He could play in the box. He could play in the slot. He could go outside if you needed to. Ward has more than five starts at star, which is just a fancy way of saying slot corner, deep safety and outside corner. So one of the conspiracy theories right now with the Miami dolphins is they drafted a cornerback when they already have a really good cornerback room that they just added Jalen Ramsey to. But the idea is, well, Hey, you get three corners on the field and now you can use Jalen Ramsey in that role. Hey, Hey, Depending on what game you're playing or what team you're playing, just have Jalen Ramsey. Go to Jalen Ramsey things. Let him be like a free bird. Oh, we're playing Justin Jefferson. Ramsey, lock him down. Oh, we're playing uh, the Carolina Panthers who just have average-ass receivers. Go play safety. Be fun. Enjoy. Like, you, you can do those kinds of things. And the idea of getting Ward is because he can do multiple spots. Well, let's say you bring him into the building. Oh, He's the best outside corner on the team. Do so you play him an outside corner? Oh, uh, Byron Murphy got hurt. We have nobody to play the slot. Jay Ward, go play the slot. And Beckman can play slot too. He's better on the outside, but he has experience in playing the slot. Those things matter here. And then, oh, uh, we want to run a lot of three safety looks, but we need them to be able to cover. Harrison Smith, Sean, and Jay Ward, come on down. There you go. That's a you possibility. Have possibility. We have a lot of things.
1: We have other players on the squad that can do similar stuff. Bynum, mm-hmm. seen possibly, seen can come in and almost be a linebacker. It's the almost the positionless player, the one that could do a whole bunch of different things and be good at it. And that, mm-hmm. the that Brian Flores can go. All right, since I know we're playing. Wide receiver X, and wide receiver X can be beat by this type of coverage, this type of defender in coverage. I'm going to put that type. I have that on my shelf right here, and guess who's playing against them all game? And then move everything else around.
0: Yep. Um, Like, you can do a lot of different things, and versatility is the name of the game. This is an era, Dave, of positionless football. And let me kind of explain that for those of you who have never heard the term before. The idea of positionless football isn't that nobody has a position. Everybody's still playing a role. But the Falcons are trying to do this in Atlanta with the selection of Bijan John Robinson. So you run 21 personnel. You have two receivers. or two running backs, two receivers, and a tight end. Well, Kyle Pitts is your tight end. who's a glorified X receiver. You have a tower in Drake, London. You could run 22 personnel with Drake London. You basically have two receivers. Like and then you have Johnny Smith as your H back. Like Cordo Patterson, Bijan Robinson, Patterson was drafted as a wide receiver. Bijan pl- plays like a wide receiver out in space. So now you could just do all kinds of weird crazy stuff. And you can put guys anywhere you want to create mismatches, to create opportunistic plays. And now all of a sudden You have positionless football because nobody has to be slated. Like Christian Derrisside, you're not going to play him at at center. You're not going to play him at wide receiver. He's your left tackle. He is a position. Justin Jefferson, he's fluid. You can play him in the backfield, and we've done that. You can play him in line. You can play him at X, Y, and Z. There you go, positionless. TJ Hawkinson, not quite as positionless as Kyle Pitts, but you can play him at X. You can play him in z and line and mm-hmm. y um, flexed out h back split end flanker, all those fun things the more a guy can do for you as far as versatility the better off you can be in taking advantage of situations and i think that dave is one reason why like the idea of bringing these defenders that can do multiple things is such a good idea such a good idea um, I love the idea. And they're doing but-
1: it on offense too. It's 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 the way I think this team they want to go, and I think it's going to be to our advantage, and we may may win even with a tough schedule, more than ten games mm-hmm. because of it.
0: So now let let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, though. Okay, let's talk about draft position because uh, uh, according to Arifasan's consensus board, and I want to talk about the consensus board too. Um, consensus board is a great tool for for being predictive it's a great tool to see kind of how all the best minds kind of view a player in an aggregate now it's it's weighted so if i have you as player one dave you have the same guy as player 10 there's gonna be more weight put on player one because like there it's that much higher so it's not like just a straight average it's weighted which i think is great and one of the reasons why I really respect and trust Arif son's work as a football analyst, because he's, he's an intelligent intuitive thinker in that kind of way to take things to a different level and try to be smarter with it rather than just do the easy thing. He's always trying to be creative in that sense. And I absolutely love that. I wish I had that style of mind because I'm not as analytically driven. I was a math whiz until I hit calc. And then it just went, oh, one kablooey. But So I I trust people that I know are smart and take that kind of time. So the consensus board is great to kind of tell you what everybody thinks. That doesn't necessarily mean it's always right. You still have to trust your eval. So, Dave, if you and I were to go in a draft room and we only drafted off the consensus board and we didn't do any research of our own, we could bullshit our way into a decent draft class. That's kind Mm -hmm. of the theory, right? Um, And
1: there's been theories that that's exactly what some teams do.
0: Well, in theory, um, with all their scouts and coaches and stuff, their big board is a consensus board. Like, well, at traditionally, it's not in the same way.
1: <clears throat> but I mean, it's been brought up before. If somebody, if a team drafted poorly, they immediately go back to the consensus board, a reef's consensus board, and go, "Hey, all you had to do was pick up who is next available on the board, and you would have had a better draft class." Um, mm-hmm. What I you try to do point. as a DM is beat that.
0: Mm-hmm. Beat those and regrets. that's where sometimes you can hit huge, sometimes you can miss horribly. And let's start having that conversation about these cornerbacks because they were both overdrafted by the consensus board. Okay. Makai um, Blackman, he was the 12th cornerback selected, he was the 21st cornerback by consensus. That's a nine cornerback difference. So there are nine quarterbacks ranked ahead of him on the consensus board that were not taken, including a top 40 player, George's Keeley Ringo. Here's the thing with corners that you have to remember. Not every cornerback is the same. It's like that, think of it like you have the same type of paint, but you have four different colors. and you have four houses. Once you paint one color one house one color you know, on the same block, you don't want to repeat that color for like at least four or five houses because otherwise then it starts to look cookie cutter, it starts to look the same. You want to have some variation, okay? So all of a sudden, now you only have three colors to pick from. And maybe like, hey, like in cornerback terms, this guy's great in a cover 2 scheme. Oh, this guy's great in a cover 3. Oh, this guy's great in press man. So you kind of weed stuff out and you're going to do this the same based on the house because, oh, I have a greenhouse here. Well, I don't want to contrast it super super hard and put a like a bright yellow house next to it. I want to have something kind of different to like differentiate between them. So like you're kind of utilizing that same thought process when you're stacking your cornerback big board. Not every cornerback in this class is going to be good in a press system. Keely Ringo, I don't even know if he was on the board because he is not good in a in a press style system, you need to have him in a, in a half turn and really minimize the impact. His lack of hip hip fluidity is going to have on him, but Blackman can play and Thor Nystrom, my co-host on purple daily on draft for score North um, Aaron, you're right. You can't check a guy's heart. Um, But, but right now we're just kind of talking the on field play. Um, But I know that contextualizes it, but um, I'm just talking like this on field tools. Um, like Blackman is a press man style corner. So if you're looking for just those guys who can run that system, maybe you only have 10 guys, maybe the top nine are already gone. And, or maybe like Blackman was like sixth on that list. And like wh- how teams stack their board is so different than how the media does the media, uh, outside of a few analysts who will do team specific boards, this is something I'm going to try next year. Um, they're just stacking their board at an overall level. So if a guy doesn't fit, but he's 80 spots higher, what does it matter? He doesn't fit. He's not right. a good piece of the puzzle for this franchise. And I think that's the key with understanding this consensus board. Because, um, Dave, you could just go sit and read the consensus board. Oh, the Vikings overdraft him by 83 slots. What a horrible pick. Well, what's the context behind it? Well, I don't know. It was just 83 spots over. Like, that, that's kind of where the the discussion kind of gets um, uh, marred a little bit because you want to be able to have that context. This is a wonderful, wonderful tool. But if you're not using the context right, it doesn't matter.
1: Well, it happens it's a just, lot in my favorite yeah. area when you're talking linemen and whether they're good at power or whether they're good at speed and getting to the second level and are better at a you know an outside sort of game than a pure power up the middle, Mano, 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 mano. Imano. So, yes, you may have this guy is better on the consensus board, but he doesn't fit our system. He's not going to be good at what we do. And you're going to want to tailor it to what we do. And if he can do both, great. But you want to look for the guy that can do what you do. That's why we take small centers like Bradbury. Sorry.
0: Yeah, it's – Bradbury was a great fit. It just didn't work how you wanted it to. Um, but, yeah, that's 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 kind of the thought process here. And Blackman I think fits. I'll, I do think after watching some tape of him, I think he was overdrafted a little bit. I, I'll say this. If they didn't think they'd get him at 119 and they traded back to 102 – and if they couldn't get a good enough trade back again, which I kind of find interesting because the top three picks were traded for on day three before the draft began again. Um, but I also wasn't in the room. So maybe those trade offers only came after the Vikings picked and they weren't even in under consideration to go up to 102. So... I, I would have rather taken him at 119 or even moved back to like 110, but that's not how these conversations always work. Sometimes you just have to go get your guy, and the Vikings well, did that with Blackman.
1: Or you don't find a trading partner.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the thing, too. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. it. takes two to tango. Like um, We've got a bu- some great conversation in, in the chat right now. Like Let's just say if Mary wanted to trade, but I didn't. Mary's not going to get to trade with me because I said no. Like, the power of no here means such uh, so much when it comes to having trade conversations. Like, the Vikings tried to trade up to three. They offered a haul to get up to three. They couldn't get there, Dave. Why? The Cardinals said no. And it's that simple. The Cardinals did not want to go down to 23.
1: And when they tried to trade out of later in the round, they couldn't find a couple of there's a couple of teams that tried to trade, but they didn't give acceptable terms. So then again, there pops up that note, and they picked Addison at that spot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Jay Ward because I need to talk to everybody about the quarterback. Um, everybody knows how much I love the quarterback. Um, Aaron's right. You have to get your guy. But the thing is, unlike the Lions taking Jameer Gibbs at 12 –
1: whoa buddy hey Uh, they did it the Packers did some questionable ones I'm all for it
0: oh oh the Packers made the worst pick in the draft and it's not even close Sean Clifford at 149 I don't know if you ever watched any Penn State football the last few years Dave
2: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, void.
0: we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Will Levis didn't get the job over Sean Clifford. Now, James Franklin stinks with quarterbacks, and he's a stubborn old man that's very traditional uh, when it comes to how he quarterbacks like he picks his quarterbacks. Will Levis was a substantially better option than Sean Clifford. Well, he picked Sean Clifford. And Sean Clifford, one of the first things in the write-up on NFL.com, he struggles throwing the football. Dave, it said he struggles throwing the football. What? Why are we drafting this guy when he's not like – like if he was a Lamar Jackson, Anthony Richardson time athlete and you think he could move to a different position. Okay. Like Joe Webb was not drafted to be a quarterback. He was drafted to be a wide receiver. Like Chuck says it in the chat. Clifford is barely UDFA caliber guy. Mm-hmm. Bingo, Chuck. You were spot on. He wasn't. And you know what? The Vikings got their quarterback after them. So if Jaron Hall is well, any form of success, I'm going to be – hold on, hold on. You need to let me finish this. If Jaron Hall is any kind of success, I'm going to be annoying as absolute hell to every single Packer <laughs> fan be like, you drafted Sean Clifford when you could have had our starting quarterback. Like, I'm, I'm going to do it to oblivion.
1: Now, I want to address Aaron. Aaron's talking about trading. and Was it a cap issue or uh, an unhappy player? Cap issues. What are you talking about? Uh, not, he said Swift, trading Swift.
0: Oh, uh, Swift asked for a trade uh, after the Jameer Gibbs pick. Okay.
1: Um, Cap issues. I saw this brought up yesterday on, I think, my show, that people are asking about the cap. Well, Are we under the cap? And presently, yes, we are under the cap because they only go with the top 51. Um, As contracts start to be signed – and if there's any of those top picks that bump up into that top 51, stuff's going to have to be renegotiated. But yes, there's going to have, still have to be some moves made to get by the end of the, by the time we get to the end of camp and go to the top to the top 53. Something's got to be done. But as of mm-hmm. right now,
0: we're fine. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, um, especially with uh, both Sidarius and. Cook. um likely to be um, gone um I need to, I'm asking one of my um staff members to write a piece because we just got an announcement that um what's his name uh Marcus Davenport will be the first player in Vikings history to wear zero Davenport so Yep. A little interesting. I thought that they might give it to Ivan Pace because I thought
1: that's who they was gonna get it was Pace because he wore it in college and he obviously wanted it. He already put out a post yeah. that he wants zero.
0: But Davenport got first dibs, he signed first. So I mean it is what it is. So let's talk about um the it's other be weird two to picks. See on a round belly. Yeah, let let's talk I know, right? Well, he's not quite a round belly, he's a he's a standard he's, a, he's
1: an edge rusher, but it's still he's a yeah. big man.
0: Um, Mary, um, June 2nd is day one. I, I still think Miami wants him, and a, they don't have cap space until after June 1st because they did the post-June 1st designation on Byron Jones. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Let's let's talk about um, Jaquelin Roy. Um, he is Creole, which I found out because I thought he might have been um, mm-hmm. of French descent and Creole and French. Um, they have very similar... Uh, like, dialects as far as, like, naming and stuff. So, like, oh, it sounds very similar.
1: Comes from French. Creole does from when yeah. Louisiana was part of a the French territory. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So, Roy is an interesting player. Um, if you looked at some pre uh, – two early 2023 mock drafts, Roy was in the first round. had A very impressive sophomore season. Had 50 pressures total over the last two years, more most among any interior defensive lineman. Um, Roy was a very talented player. He wins a lot with power. Depending on who you talk to, some will say he has a quick get off. Some will say he's very slow. I, in the few reps I've seen, I wasn't super impressed with it. But I haven't done a deep enough dive yet. We're um, we're slowly working our way through the class, being very um, meticulous. Um, I'm going to be working more through Makai Blackman this week, and then I'm going to be doing a huge piece on Jaron Hall to round out the week because Jaron Hall's my guy. There is not a soul outside of BYU or his family that likes Jaron Hall more than I do. We're going to talk about him. Don't you worry. Um, Roy is power. The comparison that Lance Zerline of NFL.com, who I really respect uh, when it comes to draft analysis, was Dalvin Tomlinson.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the kind of player you're getting. He's just a mauler up front, incredibly strong hands. He's going to pop you in the mouth, and like uh, he wins with power. He needs finesse. He needs to learn technique. He needs to keep his pad level lower, and he needs to be able to get his hands up quicker because if he doesn't have the quick get-off, offensive lineman could just beat him to the punt and get, and get the leverage, and then all of a sudden the rep is done. So he needs to grow and develop. LSU last year was kind of a disaster. They won 11 games. They destroyed Purdue in the bowl game, and it wasn't even close. Um, but LSU was kind of a disaster. Um, they went through a lot of change. Uh, Coach O leaving, Brian Kelly coming in, a lot of turnover, a lot of turmoil. Uh, and one of the big things with that turmoil, Dave, was that on offense. But the defense kind of suffered too. It was just a weird situation. So I'm thinking that Roy could potentially have a better first season as a pro than he did his like his final year at LSU, just because of all the surrounding BS he was having to deal with. Like you had Brian Kelly just being like my family and trying to talk with the Cajun accent when he's like from Ohio, which if you don't know like. Um, I learned in my anthropology class in college when the people are trying to break into media, like, especially like a news desk and be an anchor. The ideal American accent is from Cleveland, Ohio. Fun it's fact. Midwest. Yes. It sounds, it, well, specifically Cleveland. It sounds the most American. It sounds the most generic. So hearing him intentionally talk Cajun, was the most memeable thing of all time. And then he had some weird, like, it's videos pain with pain. prospects where he was, like, doing this kind of stuff and, like, dancing around him. It was just really weird stuff for, like, a 60-year-old man. Um, but Roy, I think has some talent. And then let's jump to our seventh-round pick because I want I want to finish the show with Hall.
1: If folks didn't see Roy put up, or the Vikings did, first team Roy played for in his youth league – were the Vikings?
0: Oh, cool!
1: And uh, he's been wearing purple, purple and gold almost his whole career, which gotta love.
0: Yeah, um, that is really, really cool. All right, Dwayne McBride, seventh round pick. This was where the value on the consensus board was just too good. The Vikings had what they called a starter grade on Dwayne McBride. We don't know what that means. Does that mean future starter? Does that mean he can start tomorrow? I don't know. But he was an 83-slot value on the consensus board. He was the consensus running back 12, but was drafted as running back 16. Some guys had him in the top five, and I think that's what's important here. When he runs, Dave, he runs like a car wreck, and I I told you that before, and it's just my favorite analogy because – Like, yeah, you have you seen the uh, like scenes in Star Wars where when like people are running at Sith Lords and they just stick their hand out and the guy just flies backward when people hit Dwayne McBride, they like bounce off of him. He's just built so thick and like it's he's like got an impenetrable shield around him. It's truly impressive stuff. But the issue with McBride is twofold. One he dealt the hamstring injury the entire process and he did not test. So the injury there's minor injury concerns that you can overlook. He has nine targets, five receptions and twenty-nine yards in the passing game across three years in college. Two of which he was a starter. I don't know how to contextualize that. And part of it, UAB did not use their running backs in the offense that way. But how much of that was they didn't think Dwayne McBride could do it at all. I don't know. Um, Thor Nystrom seems to think it's because he can't do it at all and he's not going to ever be that guy I'm not going to expect him to be that guy but I genuinely don't know and that lack of knowledge is in my opinion what really pushed him down the board because you couldn't even see him like test at his pro day or do workouts and to show that ability because if you could show it in workout well okay then maybe we could trust him to do it in a game then oh then I feel better taking that guy in round four
1: mm-hmm it, it's it's a good question uh the clips I've seen on him he runs like Chuck Foreman used to he's he's a spin monster and he he's not afraid of contact and he bounces mm-hmm. off and he keeps going for more and more and more but like Adrian Peterson he has a fumbling issue to go along with those hands and that may be not why he wasn't used as a receiver as well um so we're, it's He's going to be exciting to watch. Grant you that. And I suspect he's going to make the team one way or another. It may even be the practice squad. But it, he's a dynamic running back. And he's typical size, prototypical size. He's not a small, tiny guy like I've been complaining about this whole draft class. He is a normal-sized running back. So yeah, it's going to be fun to watch.
0: It is, Um, and I think he's explosive enough. He doesn't have, like, the super long speed. Aaron, that's a good call, red zone dream. But he has build-up speed, so once he gets going, he's like a locomotive. You're not going to stop him. and I think that is what's really intriguing. But let's go to the main event. The Vikings drafted a quarterback who I am incredibly high on. His name is Jaron Hall. Quarterback BYU. Now, before I get way in over my head here, I need to preface this. Okay. He is a fifth round quarterback. There's a reason he went in the fifth round. His him starting in the NFL is not a guarantee. It's relatively low percentage. I'd say there's probably about a 40% chance he ever starts a game in the NFL. And about a 10 to 20% chance he becomes a starter in the NFL with a less than 10% chance of him being a franchise guy. Okay. So we need I to put would that drop into those context.
1: Numbers even lower. That's typically well, you're not you're not likely to find a guy in the fifth round that no. even gets that much.
0: No, but I, I what starting one game, like Chase Daniels, an undrafted free agent, he's been in the league for 15, 16 years. And he started, like, six games. Like, starting one game is like, fine. But, like, it, it's not – it's very hard to see a situation where he becomes the guy. But I'm going to tell you why I would bet on him over any of these other guys, why I think he has the best chance to potentially be that guy. So let's, let's get that baseline. of It's probably not going to happen. But I'm going to tell you why I hope it could. Okay? Jaron Hall, 25 years old. But he's a different 25 years old than Hendon Hooker. Hooker has been playing continuous football throughout his life. Hall took a two-year break for a Mormon mission right out of high school. It is traditional for um, Mormon young men. Once they leave high school, they do a two-year mission, and then they come back to society. This is very normal. Um, and because of that, I, I kind of consider him a 23-year-old in football terms. Like his body um, hasn't taken like – upwards of two years of punishment and that kind of physical toll matters for these guys. Like, so he's going to, he has a relatively younger body in that sense. He does have some injury concerns, had one season um, where a hip ended his, ended his year. He has a couple of concussions. He had a high ankle sprain that um, took him out of the bowl game and it wasn't fully healed for the senior bowl. And he really struggled at times, but where he did thrive in the senior bowl practices was being able to drop the ball in a bucket and just throw it down the field and drop it like just great stuff. And I think Hall's a tremendous player. And one of the things that (laughs) very normal GMAC. that that's very funny. funny. I, I appreciate that. Um, Biggest thing for me with Hall, and before we get into like um, his measurables and stuff, because he's only six feet tall, he weighs over two hundred pounds. Former baseball players, so you'll see some of that wacky arm angle stuff. He runs a very similar offense to the Sean McVay, Kevin O'Connell system. A lot of shotgun, a lot of play action, designed bootlegs, um, layered crossing routes, um, deep shots. Um, he understands how to use full progressions. He understands how to run this style of offense. And he had command of it at BYU. Now, when you take a look at the other positives, he can make every NFL throw. doesn't have a howitzer. He can make every NFL throw. He can throw a 15-yard out route with velocity and anticipation. And you can see a lot of that, like like baseball players, like shortstop to first base. You can make that throw with velocity, but are you making the, um, the throw from uh, center field to home plate with that same velocity? Probably not. That's kind of what you have with Jaron Hall. He can make those intermediate throws with velocity and an NFL style. And he can make them all. He drops in a bucket in fantastic fashion. You pull one of those Homer buckets, the orange pails from Home Depot, you drop it 50 yards out, he's going to hit it. Like he's that kind of good when it comes to just dropping it in a bucket. Like I can't speak good enough about Jaron Hall in that sense. He has um, about a thousand adjusted rushing yards, because remember that yeah, sacks take away rushing yards in college football. So he, he's got like just under eight hundred rushing yards officially. That's going to be adjusted over a thousand when you factor in sacks. What I really love about Hall is he can create, he can make plays, he can make all the throws, and because he's going into an offense that he's basically already ran, you are talking about a scheme fit. You're talking about an easier transition because the concepts he's going to have to run, he's already ran, and he's already done successfully. He can layer a crossing route over a shallow linebacker defender. He can hit dagger with anticipation and velocity in those tight windows. Like, he can do those things, and I think that's wonderful. And when you're talking about a potential fit, that is awesome. Fit matters more with quarterback than any other position in football. Because if, if like somebody like, oh, um, Sam Darnold went and ran Lamar Jackson's offense where it's super heavy rushing-based, that doesn't freaking work. You want the quarter, uh, position to be tailored on a quarterback. Well, guess what? He's walking into his, his system. Like, that's fantastic. That's going to make that learning curve decelerate significantly. But there still is a learning curve. He's going to have to adjust to NFL speed. He's going to have to adjust to NFL windows. And the anticipation is going to be different. it's a different game than what he was going to be playing at BYU. But because he has so many of those baselines that he's not going to have to figure out that learning curve becomes accelerated. Instead of starting on the ground floor, he's going to start on like the third floor of a 10 story building. He still has to figure a way to get over the top, but he's starting with a higher level of knowledge with what they're going to be doing. And that ladies and gentlemen matters a lot. Because he's able to do all these other things and be able to hit windows and pro concepts, that's awesome. But let's talk about the reasons why it might not work. He struggles with inaccuracy. He can miss defenders, um, especially if they desire coverages or run zone blitzes. And quite frankly, those are are some pretty, pretty brutal ones. Like, can he fix that? I genuinely don't know. But I'll tell you. His maturity level, if you read the little uh, tweet from Kevin Seifert over the weekend, when they met with Jaron Hall, they sat him down and they straight up asked him, hey, did you, um," like, they knew that his receiver ran the wrong route. They knew. And they asked him, hey, what happened here? And Jaron's like, yeah, I need to make that right. Doesn't blame the receiver. They gave him the opportunity to blame the receiver because they knew. And he has that kind of leadership. And you can see the C on his chest, captain at BYU. Like this guy gets it. He's smart. Like I, Jaron Hall is my guy. I have been a huge fan of his, um, since, uh, um, well, Aaron, I'll get to that. Cause that's a really good point. That's something I'm going to bring up. Um, I've liked him since I saw him for the first time, play college football. I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is my guy. And the fact that he was drafted to the Vikings just makes me thrilled. One of those jerseys may become a Jaron Hall jersey. Don't tell my wife. But, um, <laughs> well, he's so, going to be wearing that,
1: number 16.
0: Yeah, that's such an ugly number. But he can't wear number three. <laughs> Addison has that. Uh, but let's talk about that. I don't think 16 is um, an
1: ugly number. There's a bunch of Hall of Fame quarterbacks that wore 16.
0: Yeah, but they were all before, like, the year 1995. Um, yeah,
1: but there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs>
0: yeah but let's let's talk about this. Um, the uh, the learning curve. Um, there's not a lot of data out there that of him dealing with pressure because of the good offensive line that he played with and he did he had a good offensive line and they were great especially compared to a lot of the defensive fronts they faced but once he faced a lot of pressure he did struggle because it's a small sample size, how predictive is that going to be moving forward? Now, you have CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, who each have like nearly a thousand pass attempts in college. That's going to be a little more predictive because there's going to be more instances of it. Hall didn't face that many instances over the course of his two years as a starter. Plus, I think he only has like 700, 750 career passes. That matters. That matters a lot when you have a small sample size, but he struggled in that sample size. Um, I think that he could be that guy at worst. I think he's a backup for this football team. Oh yeah. That is Gannon's old number. Good call, Colin. Um, I will say those Gannon Raiders teams. I loathed watching because it was boring. (laughs) It it was very good. Calculated football. It was just boring. (laughs) Yeah, it was smart football, but I was bored by it. (laughs) Like, um, but he won an MVP at almost forty. Good on Rich Gannon. Just imagine if he would have been able to be given a shot earlier in his career, how much damage he could have done. But um, Aaron's like, I don't get this excited. Typically, yeah, I don't.
1: Castle is the one to
0: blast. I don't get this excited typically. I I love this guy, and this like the fact that the Vikings have him. I'm I'm over the moon. But that's why before I get over the moon, I need I prefaced with, hey, you have to just. Get excited, get all excited you want, but just we can't expect it to happen. If it does, it's great. And I think the process is phenomenal because the fit works out fantastic. You don't have to teach him a lot of the basics, but you do have to uh, help him develop. And there, there's kind of a, a thinking that co- like players who become coaches are better coaches when they weren't great at football themselves uh, on the highest levels because – like, to talk about Michael Vick. Michael Vick didn't watch film until after he got out of prison. Like, he didn't care. He was just so good, he would just backyard footballs football his way to wins. Like, they talk about that in the two-part Michael Vick for 30 for 30. But if he would have spent the time to watch film, just imagine how much better he could have been. And there can be a disconnect with people who are so incredibly talented that they don't have to do the technical things because they're just so gifted. Like, that was me in math. I didn't have to show my work because I did it in my head. My teachers got pissed. I'm like, look, at the end of the day, I don't need to do it because it's already here. But that's not how it works. You have to show your work. And then by the time I had to, like, show my work and, like, Calc, I was screwed. And that's – there's a plateau for that eventually. And when you have guys like O'Connell who made the league but couldn't stay because they weren't quite good enough, they – they see things in real time, and they understand things that players who are super gifted don't. And we're going to find out, because both Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips are former quarterbacks that never quite made it. How is, how is their experience going to help moving forward? How is it going to help groom a quarterback? Jared Hall's their first test. Luckily for them, it's not heavily weighted, because it's a fifth-round pick. But if they're able to make something out of this, like, Jaron Hall was an early fifth. I'm sorry he was a mid-fifth. Like, Dak Prescott was a late fourth. Kirk Cousins was, like, the first pick in the fourth round. Like, you can get guys. Fifth round doesn't have a great hit rate, but sixth and seventh round, ironically, I think have better hit rates Whoa. than round five. But I'm going to qualify him as a day three quarterback because I had him in the same uh, lump as Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Clayton Toon. That those guys all went early to mid-fourth. Like, it's fine. I have no problem with it. It's it's a day three quarterback. We're going to see what he has. If he has something, great. If he doesn't, you tried. Uh, Joe, Joseph, welcome. Glad you could make the end of the show. Um, but don't worry, in like five minutes it'll be on demand and you'll be able to watch it all the way through. Um, no. What you um, drinking tonight, I'm, Joe. Yeah, tell us what you're drinking. I'm about to go out to the bar with my wife. I'm going to have some beers because it was a long weekend. If you followed all my coverage, we posted on VikingsWire.com, 74 stories Thursday through Sunday. We did multiple hits on Pur- I did multiple hits on Purple Daily. Dave did multiple hits on one bar in Lupagus. And we also did multiple hits on Vikings First in Skull, including talking in depth about the Jordan Addison pick and breakdowns of each day of the draft. So, If you're still salivating for draft stuff like I am because I am watching other people's draft coverage to try and get better perspectives on how everybody else is thinking about certain picks because you can read it, but it it means more if you like hear it from them because it's like real time thoughts. It's like, oh, I had I had like 20 like five hours to think about what do I think about the Will Anderson trade? Like, no. Uh, What do you think in the moment? Why do you think it in the moment? Because that's when you can get some of the more organic thoughts. And if you want to hear our organic thoughts, I highly recommend you go back and watch those. It'll take you about an hour and a half, two hours to get through all of them. But it's got a lot of good information, and it's a lot of fun because we're just having a blast doing it. But listen, that's our show. Wednesday, we'll be back. We're going to talk a little bit about UDFAs and a brief overview on what the process is going to be so far this offseason. It's probably going to be a little bit of a shorter show, so just be aware. But we're going to briefly touch on the UDFA's. I'm going to be going in depth on the UDFA class uh, p- points throughout the week to try and get a better sense of these guys. Kevin Fielder on um, Vikings Wire um, talked about or did wrote a piece about. Oh, thank you, Gary. That's very nice of you. Um, wrote a piece breaking down the UDFA's, kind of talking about. Hey, here's a brief synopsis of each player. Highly recommend you check that out because it's it's got some like story nuggets. It's not just football. It's story. And, and, and we like matters. to learn
1: about these guys as humans.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we're going to have a lot more of that this off season. I'm working on some guests to talk about the Vikings, and then we're gonna we're gonna do some interesting things this off season. Last year we kind of did uh, storytelling pieces, like talked about big moments in Vikings history. Like we brought Judd on, we talked about that '97 wild card game. We're gonna talk about uh, mainly forward thinking stuff this year. We're gonna probably do breakdowns of each position group. We're gonna talk about um, a lot of these UDFA players. Ooh, bird dog, salted caramel, nice. Joseph, mix that with ginger ale. Trust me, because um, that that ginger with the salted caramel is gonna create a really nice element. Um, but hey, listen, everybody, I want to thank you for uh, being so engaged in the comments. One episode here within the next couple weeks, we're gonna I am gonna be doing uh, probably a Monday episode, a big Q and A where basically we're just going to sit down and we're just going to have a conversation. Ask me questions in the, in the comments, and we're just we're just going to have a fun time. And I think, like, I don't know because I have so much that I want to talk about and talk to you guys about the Vikings that I don't always get to everything in the comments. We're going to dedicate an entire show to you guys to make sure that we, we keep you involved. And a lot of what you say in the comments is awesome stuff, but because of the flow of the show, we don't always get to comment on it. So I want to make sure that we get you guys heard. Um, except you, Joseph, you're not going to be heard at all. You're, you're just going to talking <laughs> to avoid in the comments. And I, am totally kidding. Um, Joseph knows that. Um, but that's our show. Um, as Colin said earlier, please throw that, like hit like, subscribe, comment in the YouTube comments. It really helps the algorithm. And if you're listening on podcasts, and you're not subscribed, please do give us a five-star review. All that's going to help us continue to grow this network. Um, I've gotten a lot of really positive comments about my draft coverage this year. And, uh, I'll tell you, I greatly appreciate it. Um, it's it's really fun to be able to do this for a living and not have to go to a real job. <laughs> I want to be. I did um, this while I had a real job. It's not the same. Like I get to well, sit and talk about football all day. It's great
1: when you do stuff you love. It's you know, it's not necessarily work. Yeah. Um, also, want to thank everybody. Spread the love. We went over 500 subscribers. We were 510 prior to the show. We went over 500 this weekend. We love you. Appreciate that greatly. We need to up our podcast game, however. It needs to grow as well. As I've said before, it's our beer money, and uh, we need to get that. So we love you joining us here and talking in chat. It's great. Tell your friends, you know, the ones that like to listen to podcasts at work, or at home to ignore the wife, or whatever, uh, go over and hook up with Vikings First and Skull and listen to us there as well. But we appreciate it, everybody. And what do we say?
0: Skull Vikings, baby. Skull Vikings.
1: Like. Subscribe. And ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community that we all love, our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornes and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone!